even if you didn't find interesting, I don't really care because I did. Um, so this class is for me. I hope you enjoy it. Um, well, that's what teachers are supposed to do, right? If they don't enjoy it, well, it's not good to teaching. Thirdly, um, what, what, what we're going to do is we're just going to review a little bit. We're going to go on in the text just a couple of things, and then we're going to come back and do some halakhic. We're going to do some tosafot. We're going to do... There you go. We're going to do some tosafot. We're going to do some shulchan aruch. We're going to do... Some Aruka Shulchan, this will be a grand, this will be a perfect for you. And then we're going to do a, an English chuva that I found online that I, I wouldn't have known about otherwise um, to try to put it all together. Okay, so it may take us a little while to put it all together. For some of you, it'll be a little difficult to follow. I'll try as much as possible because of the Hebrew to do it, but I really want to do some of the Hebrew texts of which there is no translation. So some of it is Rashi scripts, it's even better for you. You haven't learned that yet, but it'll be good practice, etc. Okay? So, to go back to the text itself. We are on 47b, and I'm going to start from the second where it says Amar Ravuna. On page 209 in this book, I really can't handle everybody else's pages. pages okay? I know we did, but I want to return. Thank you. Thank you. I know that, but okay. So, yes, I'm not going to go back to it. Yes, we did. We did. Okay. What are we dealing? We're dealing with the issue related to who can be counted for a mazuman, who can be counted for one of the three. Okay, or if you will, one of the ten in terms of Eloheinu. From there, and they dealt with Nashim Avadim Kanim. Okay? And at one point they said, even a baby in an Arusa in a cradle. Okay? If you recall from last time. And the concept of Nashim Avadim and uh, the concept of Kanim uh, were because they're not. They're not people who are obligated and therefore there was a special obligation attached to them and we had to do with this concept of avadim if they're meshuch rarim if they are all of a sudden redeemed, given freedom then they can be counted because then they have obligations if they don't, they're not obligated, etc. the same thing that relates and the last thing we did before this section I want to get to was you're supposed to be on time for services those of you who remember that last week we studied it. None of you changed any of your practices. So it didn't matter. Amar Rav Huna. Tishav. I heard it. Rachel, forget it. Amar Rav Huna. Tishava Aron Mitzarfim. And this is what we're going to spend time on. Okay? What happens if you don't have a minion? And we had the concept of can you open up the Aron, the Aron Akodesh, to be the tenth? According to Rav Huna, you can. Amar le Rav Nachman, the Aron Gavrahu. How do you count the Aron, the opening of the Ark, as a person? Is that really a person? I mean, again, that's anthropomorphizing and personifying God in the best or worst possible condition, however you want to phrase it. El Amar Rav Huna, Tisha Nirin Ke Asara Mitzarfim. 
It's like nine people who look as if they're ten. Remember, we eventually saw that as, what does that mean? Either they're separated and therefore you didn't count them separately, or they're together, it looks like ten. Somehow of a leniency in that realm, um, and, and they allow that. So that's what they said. Either that they're collected together or they are separate. They're personifying Shabbat, not with Filaba, with the Mizuman, if it's in order to have the three, in order to do Birkat Amazon. Okay, in order to Mizuman. Shayim Bishabbat. Not the Halacha, so don't worry about it because it's a very odd kind of exception. Amarle Rav Nachman, Bishabbat Gavrahu. Is Shabbat now considered a person, a personality? Ela Amar Rabbi Ami. Two students, two scholars who are pushing each other, mechadadim, to make it sharpened. Uh, their views, halacha, um, are at are okay. And Rav Chisda says like it's me and Rav Shesha, and Rav Shesha like me and Rav Chisda. It's an odd little textual kind of thing that relates to it, that relates to the three. And from there, they also they all of a sudden put this thing, Tishava Arun Mitzdarfin, according to Rav Una. They don't seem to be comfortable with it, unless it's, well, it looks like nine. It may be ten, etc. And since there was this concept, you know, not necessarily counting, what does it mean? Now, we're going to read the next section, uh, only because of, it kind of relates to it as well. And now we have is, what is a katan? What is a katan? What is a minor? Okay, most of us say a minor is in Judaism below bar mitzvah. Okay, we'll take it as male at this point. Below bar mitzvah, clearly in terms of women. However, that's not the way the Talmud actually defined it. It was eventually defined that way. How does the Talmud define it? Two pubic hairs. They say arot. Okay, as I as I go through my my Bob or Gesher class, those of you who've been part of it, I say say that, and I get giggles all of all of the course all the time. Um, and I said, and since no rabbi wanted to examine that, what we did was we picked something, and therefore girls mature biologically. Have to add that word in, otherwise you get into trouble as well in a class. Fast, faster or quicker than boys to a large extent, at least that becomes the average under these kind of conditions. So under those kind of conditions, that's the background. It, majority age or minority age of Judaism is based ultimately on puberty. Puberty. Where do we know for the first time that 13 became the age for Bar Mitzvah? We have a source from Avot Rabbi Natan which says when you reach the age of 13 you begin to fast. And we have a source in Pirkei Avod, Ben Shlosh Mitzvot. When you reach 13, then all of a sudden you're responsible for Mitzvot. It does not exist in the Talmudic literature itself. It's not in the Mishnah. 13 is not an age of any importance whatsoever in the biblical context. 20 is, 18 is, 21, Kohen, Levi, going to war, all those kind of things. But 13 doesn't exist. Okay, no matter what a disc jockey will tell you, it doesn't exist in the Bible. It's not that important. Okay, it exists by the time of the Mishnah in the Kirkevot section. And it was already a stated fact, Ben Shlosh Yisraeli Mitzvot, when you're 13, you're already responsible for a Mitzvot. That became that you were of majority age, and therefore responsible. 
Okay? So, now we can go back to our text, which will serve... I don't want to do it, it's only because it serves as a prelude to the rest of the session today. And, and maybe more than today. So, everybody have it on my Rabbi Yochanan? That is the new material that we're going to start on for the sort of first paragraph and then stop. Somebody want to read today? Okay, Brad. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Katan Poreach, Mizmanin, Alav. Alav, okay. Katan Poreach. Poreach means to blossom. Okay? Meaning Katan who has already started to show signs of puberty. The Shtesa Arot, Mizamim Alav. He's counted as part of the, thir- the three that are needed for Birkat Mizimun. Okay? Tanya Nami Hachi Katan Shahavi Shte Sarot. Mizamnin Alav Vishalohevi Shte Sarot. Ain Mizamnin Alav Vain Matimin. I'm sorry. Thank you. Okay, so so this comes from Tanya Nami Hachi. We learned in another place. And that katan if it shows two sign, two pubic hairs, he's of majority age. He's counted as part of your katamazon. If not, ain mezamim love. But then the keyword ain mitdaktekin, meaning what is dikduk for those of you who studied? Grammar. Grammar means something which is very exact. You're not so exact, so you obviously don't examine. And if he's roughly, you know, just before thirteen years and. His voice begins to descend, and all those kind of things, and you know, he looks looks manly, has two hairs on his face, or whatever the case may be. Not so. Don't worry about it. You can accept it. Talmud goes on. Kasha. That's one text. Gufa means the text itself. There is a a contradiction in the text itself. Amrat hevishte sarot ein lo hevilo. So it said, what's the contradiction? If, you, if, if he's already shown two hairs, he's accepted. He's not. But then you say, Well, what does that all, does that also, is that a greater inclusion? Okay, I can understand that if it's one or the other, but now it's all of a sudden you added something else. What does that also include? Latuye mai to include what else? My response is Shouldn't that doesn't that really mean to include katan poreach means just starting? Okay, ashkedia porachat, right? You all know from two. Okay, it's just beginning to blossom. It's not the fruits yet. It's just the beginnings. So poreach in this case means just starting, and therefore that seems to be good enough according to our our context of not two pubic hairs. Yes, no, without. But if he's just starting, he can be included. <coughs> Okay, and the halakha is is in all these things not like the teaching of these things. Shema mata is the shmuah, the teaching. Okay, oral tradition. 
All of that is not like this oral tradition where we learned. Ah, Rav Nachman says it's got nothing to do with age, it's got to do with knowledge. knowledge. If you know, if, the, if already the, if the Katan knows what the impact of the prayer is, the import of the prayer is, that it's grace after meals, thanking God, he can be included. At what age is that? Since all of our kids are brilliant at the age of, you know, three months, you know, it's Katan Barisa. What else could it be? It's that little baby who now all of a sudden knows, oh, you know, etc. So everybody's child is a little bit different. It has to do not with the the body, it has to do with the intellect, according to Rav Nachman. Now they come now to a, a kind of Masa Shahaya. Okay, so Abai and Rava were at Rabba's place. He said, What's it all about? Okay, who are we going to do this? Now, what happens in this case is, if you if you follow Rashi and others, Rava and Abaye are younger than Rava. Okay? And therefore, he's kind of testing them. Can I include you? Lamim Varchin. Amarle, Amrele. Go ahead. Amrele, Rahmana. The Rahmana. What's Rahmana? The Kodesh Baruch Rahman. Okay, mercy. They knew. I don't. I don't know exact, exactly what age they were, but they were young, and therefore. What what is it that he want to know? Do they really know the Mima Barkim? And the answer is Rahmana. And then he asks some fascinating questions. And where is God sitting? Now he's asking him theology. Okay. So if you were to ask your kids. Where is God? What would most of them say? They point up. They point, right? So it says, Rava Achave Lishmei Tilala. He kind of looked up to the ceiling. Abaye Nefak Levara. Levara is outside. He went outside. Achave Klape Shmaya. And he looked up to heaven. So. I'll, you know, again, is God really up in heaven? I don't want to go into that theology. Yes, no. But if you ask most people, and for sure kids, where is God? They would say either everywhere, right? Or they would say up in heavens. So he's asking them. I don't know what age they were at. I don't think we know. Who are They say Rahmana, and then he wanted to go further. Okay, let me examine you now. Where? Does God sit? And they clearly knew enough to be able to say, in the heavens, above, whatever the case may be. Then it goes on, Okay. Lamar lehu rabba tarvaychu shnechem. Remember, the tough is a sheen in Hebrew. Rabbanan havetu. You will be two, both of you, great rabbis. They had already proven themselves that they're knowledgeable, they understand. What, why they're doing Berkat Amazon, uh, etc. 
This seems to be a Babylonian saying, okay, which doesn't really help us. Butsin, Rashi says, Dalat. What's Dalat? Gourds. Gourds. Right? Okay? Dalat you put up in your sukkah. Gourds. Gourds, gourds, mikatve yadir. I know you from when you just begin to grow. Meaning, I know you're going to be great because I've seen you as little kids. There's a whole thing here on which Steins off with Haolam. But it's basically, it was a saying that they seem to have in Babylonia that they understood as, I know the outcome from the very beginning. You're going to be great rabbis. I know from the very beginning of this plant that Dalat is going to grow. That seems to be the case. Okay? We're going to stop on the text there. Now, what I want to do is I want to go back to um, the concept of Tishav Aron Mitzarfin. Because I asked you last time how many had seen that, how many had been at synagogues, etc. And what I want to do is I want to look at a couple places in here. Then we will go a little bit further than that as well. Um, so some of you will not have this. We're going to translate it as we go along. Um, so I'm going to do some of the reading because it's, it's a little bit difficult. So I first of all, I want to look at Iyunim on the pa- on the previous page, 209, where it says Tishaba Aron. Okay, everybody who has it has it. Okay, so I'll do the reading. Tishaba Aron, Rabu Hatmehim Alashonze. A lot of people were surprised by this. And also the commentaries on it. In later in the Gemara. That all of a sudden they then move apace to some different kind of comments and doesn't have an effect on Tishav Aaron. You would think that that would be unbelievable. Five pages of Talmud and all kinds of discussions and what does that mean and how can you do it? And they basically say Varun Gavrahu. That's it. And they leave it there. They don't tell you yes. They don't tell you no. So you can imagine that the commentaries in terms of halakhic literature are mass in that realm. In Yanti Shavaron whose bar it's explained Shemudubar kan ba'aron ha-kodesh sefer Torah that first of all if we're dealing with an Aron it has a Sefer Torah inside. Not like this one, for instance, which has a mini minion, you know, or whatever at this point, Viachad Sefer Torah, but a real Sefer Torah inside. Viodim Anu, and we know, that with regard to some matters, such as Ibur Hashanah, whether the year is intercalated, whether you add a month of Adar, etc., you needed a baiting to be able to do that in times of difficulty and that happened especially during Roman persecution times okay that's not what the Talmud says but there seems to have been a custom in times of persecution in times of great danger, in times of crisis, when they needed to take do something, which is Ibu Hashanah, which is obviously very important, they would then have two, and add a child holding a Sefer Torah. Okay, so it's not the Aron now. You see the move. It's not the Aron. It's a child who one day would become responsible, 
now holding a Sefer Torah. And therefore, some halachic or commentators thought that that, oh, if you can do it under those conditions, then all of a sudden when you come and need a minion, oh, we can do it in those conditions as well. We'll have a young boy below the age of majority hold a safer Torah in his hands. And that, therefore, should be acceptable as a tenth. We're not just talking about the Aaron now, right? We're talking of somebody who at one day would be obligated, is currently not obligated, but holding a safer Torah. The Yesh and there are some who commented, Ki Aaron meramez al Aaron HaKodesh b'mikdash. It's not simply the Aaron that we have, but it's the Beit what happened in Beit HaMikdash. Since we don't have that anymore, therefore... You can't do it anymore under those kind of conditions. That it was a special kind of art that even though it can be seen on all sides, it didn't actually have a specific place. Meaning it was not like our Aaron, it was of a magical, mystical kind of quality. It would be like that, the tent would be like that, Aaron. That it would look as if it's there, but it's not really there. This is what's known in English, in legal terms, as grasping at straws. Being hypothetical to areas that just don't make a lot of rational sense. Which word, sorry? Bifoal in actuality, in actuality, bifoal is to do, to make, to do. V'hayash edarash milim ele notrikon. Notrikon. Anybody know what notrikon is? Notrikon is an abbreviation of a word, and each letter is becomes a word. Okay. Each letter becomes a word. So, what is Aaron? Echad roe. One who is seen, one who sees but cannot see. Meaning, God. Hmm? One who sees but cannot be seen. And Shabbat, Shnehem B'nai Torah. Okay, like the Chadadim, both of them B'nai Torah. When they do Notrikon already, you know that they're really trying to. Uh, to okay? So, for instance, Shabbat. In another case, you know what sometimes Shabbat is used for, Notrikon? Shena b'Shabbat ta'anug. Sleeping on Shabbat is pleasurable. Shin beta. So they ta- arguing with the getting here early, but... <laughs> <laughs> so, what you have here is a... Now, there's part that he hasn't mentioned here, okay? As we'll see in a few moments, that, does not, that he's not talked about in terms of the halakhic ramifications of this. So what is, first of all, what is, our, what is the Aaron? It has to be a real Aaron, according to some, with a Sefer Torah inside. For some it was taking the Sefer Torah out of the Aaron and a young boy holding it. For others it was only the Aaron and the Beit HaMikdash. And the Notricon is simply a play on letters. I mean, it's not, not serious. 
There is an intermediate step as well, which I'm going to take you through as we do this halakhic search together. Everybody with me so far? If you're not, let me know because I'm going to try to take you a pace. All right. All right, so now what I want to do is look at the Tosafot. Um, where it starts, the late Hilchata Kechol Hanishmata. Those of you who have a regular Talmud, the Tosafot is there. Uh, in the English, it, probably, it won't be there. Okay? Just wait, wait. It's on page 210. Yeah. Okay, I haven't told you exactly where I want to go. So, this is a long Tosafot. Tosafot, in Mo- and we'll see Rabbeinu Tam quoted a number of times. Tosafot is the, is the grandchildren of Rashi, both in um, France, a little bit in Spain, and in Germany. A couple of di- number of different people. The main one being Rabbeinu Tam, who's a grandson of Rashi himself. Okay? And the purpose of Tosafot is where Rashi explains a text. Tosafot now explains or contradicts different passages within Talmudic literature, tries to elaborate, try to create questions, etc. Much more difficult than, than just the text itself. Um, and you have to reach a certain level of being able to understand the text and the, and the textual connotations if you're doing Tosafot. But they have a very long discussion here that I wanted like to go through um, uh, with regard to this Tishava Aron. Okay, so normally in the text that some of you have, it is in um, Rashi script. Okay, Steinzeltz did the favor for many people and put it into regular script. So I want to start. I'll tell. You, I'll try to for those who can follow it, right where the long lines begin. The late Hilchatakecholhani. Okay, the late Hilchatakecholhani. Okay. Ah, uh, just wait a second. Where the long lines begin. Okay. I haven't told you what words yet. Okay. All right. That's that. Those who have the, this text. Okay. What we're going to do is we're going to start in the middle. We're going to start in the middle. Um. All right, I'll probably start here. Um, all right, so the question is the Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi statement, Tishava Aron, 9 plus the Aron. And they basically continued with regard to that, with we talk a little bit more into is it Birkat Amazon, is it, is it Tfilah, um, and he explains a little bit uh, in, in terms of that. Uh, in some sense, Rabbi Yoshua, he, he, he finally says, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi is really talking more about Birkat HaMazon, but not Tefillah. What I want to start with is from the long lines, five lines down in the middle, where it says, Vahaya Omer Rabbeinu Tam. Okay? So, if you, I don't know where it is there, it's about halfway in the text itself. Got it? Yeah. Okay, the Haya Omer Rabbeinu Tam. Five lines down, 
in the, from the big lines right in the middle. Okay, right in the middle it says, Vahaya Omer Rabbeinu Tam. In the middle of the line. Five lines down. Vahaya Omer Rabbeinu That's in the long line. All right, those who can follow, you're with me? If you can't, just listen. You're listening? When the test comes, you'll do just fine. <laughs> so this is Rashi's grandson commenting on the Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, Tisha Aron, Birkat Amazon, Tfilah, all of the above. That you can't add this ninth plus to make halacha. Lefi shacholek al hagmara shalanu. Because it doesn't hold consistently with our Gemara. Divadai Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi linyant filan nami kamar. He's also Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi is not simply saying about Birkat Amazon. He's also saying it about filah. Okay, because the question they're saying the question is, what do you need the ten for? Is there an issue of ten with Birkat Amazon? Yes, you say Aloheinu. But Rabbeinu Tam says it has nothing to do with Birkat Amazon, it has to do with Tfilah. Because he asks the question. Okay? Mafrich is to ask a question. He asks a question with regard to Rabbi Eliezer with regard to Tfilah. And there are some people who agree to, literally, it's our is to attach, to join. Katan Litvilah. Not a Sefer Torah, but a Chumash. That was not mentioned anywhere so far. There are people, we don't know where those people are, but there came the custom somewhere in Germany and France, in his age, when you, when you needed a minion and you didn't have it, you didn't open the ark, you didn't take out the Tefer Torah, you simply had a minor hold a Chumash. It is a foolish and ridiculous custom. So the good, this is why I love this stuff. If I ever said that, you'd all get angry. But you know, he can get away with it. That when it says the Aaron is a person, I can ask the same question. If I ask the question about Aaron, is that a person? And you would think, therefore, the answer, of course, is no, and therefore not acceptable. What about a Chumash? Also not a person. Ve'od. Hadekamar katan mitzdaref. And if you say a young person can be included, hainu afilu chumash. What's the purpose of the Chumash? Why? What is it all of a sudden? What's the Chumash add to the recognition of this person become from a minor to a majority person. That we've never seen. Duchta is a place. I don't know of any place where I've ever seen this. In other words, tell me about the text. This is Bobby Qual's cultural stuff here. It comes from the bottom and not the up. Ella ba'uvda di bur hashanat except for the time when you have to intercalate the year 
And olim bala means you go up to the attic. Meaning that we have a couple of cases where they did this up in an attic because they were afraid of Roman persecution. They had to hide away in order to do this. They asked Rabbi Akiva once in a prison cell, etc. You got to be very knowledgeable of the phases of the moon, etc. Only a Gavra Rabba, a great rabbi, could do it. And the Romans didn't allow congregations of Jews together, etc. The Pirkei Rabbi Yezer. Pirkei Yezer is a midrash. The Kamar Bishlosham Avirina Tashana. That you need three people in order to intercalate the year. If you don't have it, then maybe you can add an Aron and a third and a Katan, etc. Rabbi Yezer Omer Asara. So nor, the, 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 mid, the halacha there says in three. Eliezer says Asara. If you have less than that, you bring a Sefer Torah, and an Agula is an Igul. What's an Igul? A circle. A circle. Okay? You make Igul. Okay? Not Agala, Igul. You make a circle. The Ein Maskir Sham Sheyakatan Ochez Besefer Torah. But it never says there, even in that case where he wants to add him, that you add that the that this katan has to be holding a safer Torah. The, that's why he's calling this a minhag shtut. Where does this come from? The hatam nami loka amar ella sefer Torah hasui begilayon. Gilayon really means parchment, meaning a real sefer Torah. Aval humashim shalanu lo. Now, when is he living? 12th, 13th century. Do we have the printing press yet? No. So, all of a sudden he says, it's not, how did they, what did they write on? They wrote on some sort of paper and scrolls and everything else. But it wasn't necessarily good parchment as gilayon to be acceptable as a safer Torah. And therefore, not like our machine. And you right away, like I think of something like this. We're pre-printing press. We pre-printing press. So even under those conditions, he said his chumashim of his time are not acceptable. You have to have a real sefer Torah and a gilayon, which is the real parchment. Umihu, and therefore kamar by Yerushalmi. It says in the Yerushalmi, Amar Rabbi Yosi, Smanin achilt im Rabbi Khalifta. Abba v'im Rabbi Chanina bar Sarsi Chavivi v'lo mezamlim aloi ad she'eveti shtei sa'arot And therefore there is this case um, where he says Amar Rabbi Yossi I ate with all these people but I never was counted as part of Berkat Amazon until I was of majority age Nothing to do with an Aron and a Chumash and everything else under the sun Umisham mashma ditzaref v'zimun and therefore you learn, according to Rabbeinu Tam, that you need to have a majority age, two pubic hairs or such, to be included in your Amazon, halit fila avde, and also for tefila. Umitoch Yerushalmi zeh, peresh Rabbeinu Yitzchak, te'ein osin katan snif asara, lo litfila velo libirkat amazon. What's a snif? A branch. If any of you have been in Israel, the banks are snifim, right? Meaning, what's a branch in this case? An addition. You don't make the katan an addition in order to make the tenth, not for Berkat Amazon, and not for tefillah. You can see, this is, a, this is an amazing kind of concept here. You have within the halakhic system, 
some doing things which were never a young person in a chumash a young person in a Sefer Torah opening the ark is it Birkat Amazon? right, doing it in the Gul doing it, you know it, is, it, is it for Birkat Amazon? is it for a minion? Rabbeinu Tam says, all of it's malarkey no sources attached and yet, if he's talking about it what is it? happening it's going on, I don't have other I don't have a video of it happening and I don't have but clearly it's happening in these kind, in somewhere in the countryside where they can't get a minion, they're trying to make some sort of, you know, abilities, leniencies in order to do so. In our time? This is Rabbeinu Tam's time. I'm not talking about our time. We'll come to our time later. The gam haya omer Rabbeinu Yitzchak, shagam Rabbeinu Tam atzmo lo haya noheg lasotkin. That Rabbeinu Tam's practice was not to accept this. Lasot katan snifl asara, to make the young person included as one of the ten below asamase and never held by it. So we have Rabbeinu Tam's statement, wherever that comes from, and somebody who lived in the court of Rabbeinu Tam as such said, "I never saw him do this." Gam bishlosha kibibrita v'leka mandapli, and not even to include them in berkat hamazon. And this is the language of our teacher who said, Maskana de Milta, You don't make the, the young person an addition for either Birkat Amazon, when you need ten, or for Tefillah, or even for Birkat Amazon, until they have two pubic hairs, meaning they're of actual majority age. And that's the statement that came from the Yerushalmi. And in the Yerushalmi where it says a young person and a Sefer Torah is permissible. I have a different reading. It's not Katan the Sefer Torah, but it's Katan le Sefer Torah. Klomar, meaning Snif lekriyata Torah. Now, not for tefillah, but for Torah reading. Now, this is going to come back to a whole Mishnah in Megillah, which we studied a long time ago. For those of you who are here, Kamar v'davka hatam kedita v'Megillah, as you learned in Masech and Megillah, the katan ole leminyan shiva. All right, that this young person can be counted among the seven. Who else can be counted among the seven? Women. The, okay, we have this concept, but keep reading. The Kamar Hakol Olin Leminyan Shiva. This is Megillah. All it can be part of the seven people who read. Now remember their Torah reading. How did they read Torah in those days? They read freely from the parchment. They read from the Torah. One bracha at the beginning and one bracha at the end. Very good. The person simply came up and didn't recite the bracha. So in time, the question of the women could re- or a katan can recite the bracha, but to come up and to be there. But afilu katan afilu isha, the Mishnah and Megillah, which we studied long ago. But we don't do it. Ilo have mishum kvod hatzibur. All right. Remember this. We don't allow women or young people to do it because of the honor of the congregation. What did it mean, the honor of the congregation? If a woman came up, it meant 
The men didn't know how to do it. That's why the biggest reason why women, again, I did this a little bit in my sister class as well, I mentioned. It's got nothing to do with your hand, being a menstruant or anything. The Sefer Torah, Mitameya Daim Sefer Torah is holy unto itself. It, it cannot be become Tamei. So it's not an issue. Koli we don't hold by. And Kvodet Sibur is something different in our community. Okay? It's, it's a, Kvodet Sibur is a sociological approach. It's not halacha per se. How do you de- define the, the, the category of the respect and honor due to a congregation? No, let me finish first. If it's like, they're going to take me aside, no, I'm going to roll here. Okay. But only Leminyan Shiva, only for the counting of Torah reading. And therefore, Rabbeinu Yitzhak basically had what? He had a text which was different. Sneef not to Katan the Sefer Torah, adding but Katan le Sefer Torah, meaning Kriyata Torah, of which there is an adequate source in Megillah. Vafilu im ashkatan, and even if the shum dukta de katan, alright, and even if you are in a place where the katan, the humash, afilu litfila, where katan is included, maybe even with a humash, hayudafka asui begilayon. It's only one that's official, like a Sefer Torah, of a humashim shalanu lo, but not simply holding the Yitzchayim. Not simply holding our chumash. Ulaferush Rabbeinu Tam chumash enomoyil klal biyad katan. Rabbeinu Tam said, "Don't help whatsoever. I don't care what kind of chumash you're talking about. It doesn't help." Alva katan lachud have sniff, but the katan himself may be able to be added. Aval tre lo, but both issues no. The kamara gavi uvda to Rabbi Yezer and said. The Rabbeinu Tam Peiresh Tehayid Yishami to Rabbi Yosi Barakavita Dafka Bishloshamari has to do with three and not tefillah. What you have here is a fascinating Tosafot for a couple of reasons. One, you have the customs that were part of their period. That Rabbeinu Tam will rip them apart. Says it's minhag shtut. Clearly, people were doing them. Secondly, they're trying to find halachic support to this concept of being able to do it. Three, they're taking the different sources from our Talmud, from the Jerusalem Talmud, from Masechet Megillah, and trying to mix them together to find any kind of way possible. And they finally come to the conclusion of Rabbeinu Tam says, it don't matter if it's an Aron, a Sefer Torah, a Chumash, the Katan doesn't count. Birkat Amazon maybe, Tefillah, uh-uh, not acceptable. Which means that there were communities at his time, and I don't have the information to tell you which ones, where this went on, and the great decisor of the time said, this is unacceptable. Now, the question, of course, from a a sociological point of view is, did people still continue to do it even though they knew Rabbeinu Tam's answer? And the answer is yes, because you all knew that till today some congregations opened the ark or may have a young person hold a chumash, or may take the Sefer Torah out. Which means that tradition continued, even though, as an important halachic source, as Rabbeinu Tam said, doesn't count, doesn't happen, doesn't occur. Well, my, my question is, 
why do we accept Rabbeinu Tam above the other Chachamim, the other scholars of an earlier age? Okay, so first of all, from a halakhic point of view, halakha kibatrai. We've called the halakha according to the last person. We're going to do Shulchan Aruch and we're going to do Aruch Shulchan, which is later. And that's, that, that is a good legal precedent. What is an official Supreme Court decision? The last one. It's not the one you can talk about the earlier ones, but it's the last one. That is the ultimate decision for the community. So if Roe v. Wade is overturned for some reason, I just took one which we all know, okay, is overturned for some reason, the law of the land isn't the old law, it's the new law. And halakha works the same kind of way. Halakha kibatrai. It's hold up now. The question is, where does it freeze? Is it only the Shulchan Aruch? Is it still rabbinic times? Is it still conservative rabbis, etc., etc.? That's part of the politics of, of today's Jewish society. But the, the halakha kibatrai, Rabbeinu Tam from a halakha... Remember, the Talmud is not a halakhic book. Rabbeinu Tam does deal with halakha. Rashi deals a little bit with halakha. Clearly, the Rambam, Maimonides, deals with halakha. And then we're going to do the tour of the Shulchan Aruch and the Aruch HaShulchan. Other questions? That's why you have two different congregations to having different customs and... Two? Do it. Every I single one. We're going to do this next. So. I imagine number of them. They all are different? That because, today, because they're... In, today, in places where there is a chief rabbi, that happens less. Because you have to, the chief rabbi is the, is the halachic authority. And in a place like the United States or Canada, where there's no chief rabbi, each rabbi is the maradatra. Of course, each rabbi makes the decisions for his or her congregations based on, in terms of the conservative of the Committee on Jewish Law and Standards, but at the same time within their own framework. So yeah, within the conservative would go around to different synagogues. As you know, there are different practices. Okay, so we have a few more minutes. Now I'm going to get more technical. Everybody with me? I mean, I, I guess uh, this class is for me, so I hope you're enjoying it. This is not translatable. This is not translated to English, so I can't do the English. I will give you English yet, I promise. But no, not on the two sources that I'm doing now. I will read it. There should be enough. If there are not enough sources, I have more, but let me know. Okay. All right. So let me tell you what this is. I want you to look at the side at the side that says page one seventy two, Brachot. Okay. So this is the Mishnah Brura. The Mishnah Brura is one of the later commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch. The text you have above, I'll give you a little bit of geography. I don't think we'll get to the text itself today, but it's good halakhic geography for you, for those who don't know, is, the, is what is a page in the Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch was done by Joseph Karo, end of the 16th century, 
Caro was both a mystic and a halakhic authority. He started in Spain, ended up in Sfat. Is was is an unbelievable, interesting character as well. There's a book on him by by Verblowski. Um, he had he felt he had a Magid Mishnah on his shoulder, a mystical kind of person speaking to him in the night. Um, you many of you have been to Caro synagogue. I have my my guides here who can tell you about it. Right in Sfat. Um, he became unbelievably authoritative for the Sephardic world, for the Sephardic world, uh, as the compiler of the um, halakha for the Shulchan Aruch, by starting with what's known as the Arbat Turim. The codification of halakha really started with Maimonides. Until that time, you had no codes. You had the beginnings with the with the with the beginning of putting together with codes. The Talmud is not a law book. The Mishnah is not a law book. It ends with, ultimately, one rabbi says this, one rabbi says that. And sometimes you'll get Hilchata. The law is. But that's not its, its, its genre. Its genre is of a didactic, ongoing, trying to understand concept of the oral law. Halakha, therefore, was very fluid. And it took Maimonides to really issue the first major halakhic work known as the Mishnah Torah. Okay, 11th century or so, Maimonides, unbelievable philosopher, Morena Vuchim, guide for the perplexed, writes all kinds of things and does the Mishnah Torah. The Mishnah Torah has its own framework of the way he codified it in a number of different books. The Question the, where the Rambam ultimately was criticized because he never quoted sources. He simply gave the halacha. And others known as commentaries, the Rivet and others, ripped him to shreds in language that I would never use from the pulpit. Minhagstut and all kinds of those things because where does he get this from? Who gives him the right to make his decisions? For the Sephardic community, the Rambam became unbelievably authoritative. The next major code is, is Rabbeinu Asher, known as the Arbat Turim. He codifies the codes into four separate sections. The, the, the Rosh is about 13th century. To the Arbat Turim, Joseph Caro writes a commentary. Okay? He writes a commentary to the Arbat Turim, which I have in my office, if you pick up an, uh, the tour, you will find the major commentary there is, is Rabbi Yosef Karo. Out of that, eventually, Karo, and that was a very long, intricate commentary, more of a Tosafot management rather than simply Rashi, he eventually takes that and codifies it into the Shulchan Aruch, sort of the end of the 16th century. That becomes the authoritative code for two, two or three reasons. One, everybody of the scholars before the Shulchan Aruch is known as a Rishon. If you hear about the Rishonim, it's all before the Shulchan Aruch, the beginners, if you will, the, the earlier ones. If you hear of the Achronim in halakhic literature, the later ones, doesn't matter when it is, it's after the Shulchan Aruch. This is the trend-setting major code of Jewish law. If you pick up a book of one volume of code of Jewish law, that's not the Shulchan Aruch. That's the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch, that's condensed, 
of Rabbi Avram Gansfried from Poland at the end of the 19th century, end of the 20th century, um, and it's very, very to the right. He, Caro is fairly liberal on most things, as Sephardic commentaries become. And he becomes the posseg for the Sephardic world. And whether it be Ovadia Yosef, or any else, they have to go back to the Shulchan Aruch. You cannot do halakha without knowing what the Shulchan Aruch says. Later, in about the in about a hundred years later, maybe not quite that, Rabbi Moshe Iserlis in Poland adds his commentary to the Shulchan Aruch because he's now Ashkenazic. And this is Fardic Minhag. It's known as the Mapah, which means the tablecloth on the set table. So if you're looking at the text here, at the top, in the major text itself, everything in block letters is the Shulchan Aruch. Everything in Rashi script is the Ramah. Right in the text itself. You know which is Spartic and which is Ashkenazic. Immediately. The Shulchan Aruch, therefore, always will have the Sephardic and Ashkenazic minhagim. Some of them are always the same, some are different, some rationales, etc. If you're going to do halakha, you have to be able to go back to the Shulchan Aruch to, start your to at least start your search, if not end your search, according to some. And whether that's the, it's, you know, that's the last point or there's more points, again, that's the politics of halakha even to the present day. On one major section of the Shulchan Aruch, what's known as the Orachayim, which is the first section which deals with the holidays, Tefillah, Berkat Amazon, all of those things that are rich, continued rituals to today, there are, are a number of different um, commentators, including what's known as the Mishnah Brura, which you'll see in the left-hand column towards the bottom, which is already three centuries later. And the Mishnah Brura will both examine the text, sometimes bring explanations, sometimes bring contradictions, and sometimes just clarify what the text itself is talking about. What we're going to do next time, because we won't have time today already, is read one section of this Mishnah Brura on Aaron and Tisha. Okay? We're going to turn the page after, and I'll talk next week about the Arucha Shulchan, which is a still later commentary on the Shulchan Aruch, um, bringing together all, a number of different sources in a different kind of way. And then I will give out an English Jubal, which I found from Rav Google, which I didn't know, <laughs> from Rabbi Yirmiya Kaganov Shlita. Yirmiya Kaganov. The question is nine in a Chumash. And he had goes through all the different sources really very nicely. Now, the difference between benching and davening, the Shulchan Aruch, Kriyat Torah, the Ramah, the the Rav Moshe Feinstein, etc. So I'm do I've gone on a tangent as I say. I had a great time doing it. I hope you will as well. But for the teacher, this is the fun part for me, learning new things too, that that relate to ultimately what we do today or don't do today, as the case may be. So we have one more class next week before we break.
If anybody didn't get the calendar, please see me afterwards. We will break, obviously, for all of October. I won't be here the first week of November. God willing, I'll be in Israel. But then we'll pick up again in November. So next week, what I'll try to, we'll try to do is do this halakhic framework because I just think this issue is so fascinating, both in its textual sources, its halakhic things, and the fact that it's still done today. And there's some people who, when you walk into a synagogue, say, oh, just open the ark. And others who say, no way, not acceptable, etc. Questions? They have the right, the same, exactly, exactly. Sometimes they have problems getting a minion.